From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. And welcome back to the CQ Budget Podcast. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And we're heading into a big week on Capitol Hill because the debt limit saga is reaching a a key tipping point, I think it's fair to say. House Republicans have finally unveiled their own bill for raising the debt limit, avoiding economic calamity, but it comes with lots of spending cuts and policy changes that they want to see attached that Democrats won't stand for. We want to talk about what this bill would do and whether there are the votes to pass it, because everything rides on, I mean, this bill will never become law, but if it passes the House, it gives Republicans a much stronger negotiating stand with Democrats to negotiate a final bipartisan deal on the debt limit. And that's what we're going to see this week unfold. Joining me to talk about all of that is Aiden Quigley, appropriations reporter at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again for being here, Aiden. Thanks for having me. And Laura Weiss, the tax policy reporter at CQ Roll Call. Thanks again, Laura. Yeah, thanks for having me, David. So Speaker Kevin McCarthy this week finally laid out his debt limit bill. It would raise the the debt limit, the legal borrowing authority the Treasury has by $1.5 trillion or extending it through next March, whichever comes sooner. So it's not clear exactly how much room this gives them. But in other words, if they raise the debt limit by a trillion and a half and they eat up that borrowing authority before next March, then there's another debt limit crisis happening sooner. If it extends through March, they have until March to deal with this issue again. That part seems locked in. What What is tricky are all the things that are attached to it, and Republicans attached a lot to it. They want to cap discretionary spending at effectively last year's levels and allow for only 1% growth each year for the next decade. That's a huge, <laughs> and, and if, if, as we think, they want to exempt defense from any cuts. It mean, it does mean huge cuts to non-defense programs that Democrats are going to fight, but that's a big savings if they get that done. It's over $3 trillion over the coming decade. It's a biggie. That's the main thing, but they also want to prevent President Biden from canceling student loan debts. That's a huge savings. They want to repeal a lot of the green energy tax credits that were in last year's Democratic law that Laura can talk talk to us about. That's a sticky wicket right there. And you have conservatives in this bill pushing to toughen work requirements for food stamps, Medicaid. That's a big deal too. And Democrats really don't like the sound of that one. And they would repeal the extra funding the IRS got for for better customer service and for, for more tax enforcement. And that, that one's a money loser, right? Because the calculations are if you don't pump that money in to help the IRS, they get less back in tax revenue. It's a net money loser. And Republicans want to uh, expand energy. And there's a lot in there to to boost energy production and and relax regulations and streamline permitting. All of that stuff is in this mega package. It spanned about 320 pages. This bill didn't go through committee. It's one of these leadership-directed mega packages. 
and it's sort of a take it or leave it, I think, as things stand right now. Republican leaders are talking optimistic. They say it's going to pass this coming week. Aiden, they have to be nervous about whether this whether they actually have the votes for this. They do, but they are definitely very confident at this point. Uh, if you saw Kevin McCarthy's uh, comments yesterday where he was essentially taunting reporters to write stories about how they're teetering because uh, he was sure they were going to pass it next week. So uh, that being said, there are a couple, of, you know, there's definitely some House Freedom Caucus types who opposed the McCarthy speaker bid who are expressing some levels of trepidation. Um, but, you know, Bob Good, for example, he, he's one of them, but he sounds like he's going to get to yes based on what he's been saying. And on the flip side, if you look at the uh, moderate side, uh, you know, again, some of them, some of the moderates have complaints, particularly, uh, or, you know, other seeking changes at least. Um, for example, Jen Kagan's of Virginia wants to change some of the energy policies uh, regarding wind farming. But at the end of the day, you know, going against the leadership is a major step. Yeah, but we should say, I mean, we should say, Aiden, you know, there's, all, there's 222 222 Republicans in the House. They need 218 to pass this. They're not going to get any Democrats to vote with them for sure. They're locked against it, which means they can only spare four of their own members here. They can only lose four GOP votes if they want this to still pass by the, you know, the skin of their teeth. So it would only take uh, – <laughs> five defectors out of this out of this huge group to to have to have qualms about it we know one right is george santos who's already declared his opposition to it unless you can't trust what he says which is entirely possible <laughs> but um if he's true to his word this time uh he's a no so that's one they can only spare a few more and there's definitely I mean, there's definitely moderates, first of all, who represent districts that President Biden carried, who have to be nervous about the the cutbacks to discretionary spending. They could take big whacks out of popular domestic programs. You know, that's a campaign attack ad just waiting to happen for them in their next reelection, not to mention they're voting for a bill they know will never become law but they're being asked to stick their necks out for this as a negotiating tactic. That's got to be a tough vote for maybe 15 to 20 moderates, I would think, who are in those districts. And then on the conservative side, we did hear we did hear about an unease out there about whether it cuts spending enough, First, firstly, right? And these work requirements, because they're not happy with them. There's, there is a push from conservatives to toughen work requirements for food stamp recipients because they think it's just, you know, there's, they say, look, there's all these vacant jobs out there and this is discouraging them from working and it, we're just making it too easy to get these benefits, which really increased during the pandemic. And so there's a really desire to cut that back. And this bill, I think, requires 20 hours of work a week, but we're hearing from a good number of conservatives who say it really needs to be 30 hours a week. Are they open to changing the bill to do that? Well, so leadership is signaling they do not want to change the bill. And it, you know, it's it's obviously impossible to predict the 
decisions of the, you know, how the House Freedom Caucus folks are going to go sometimes. But that being said, you know, there aren't many of them who are saying that they're hard nosed at this point. You know, there are 20 members who opposed McCarthy for speaker. And, you know, Matt Gates seems to really like this bill, for example. You know, obviously there's, there's, is he a yes? You know, I think at this point he is uh, a yes, but I'm not 100% sure on exactly where he falls. But he's been saying good things about the framework mm-hmm. and um, hinting at least to, to being supportive. But that, that being said, you know, we'll have to wait and see next week how everything shakes out. But I don't think that these, uh, you know, conservatives are going to tank this entire bill, which gives them the fiscal 22 spending level that they want capped for 10 years with only 1% growth. That was a demand of the Freedom Caucus in the bill. You know, it's a little hard for me to see them taking this bill just over 10 hours of, of work requirements. And we should say we should say though that you know leadership did say they don't want to change the bill, but if they have to change it to get the votes they need, I think they'll end up changing it. We don't know. I mean, I think they're going to do whatever it takes to get the bill passed. If that means tweaking the bill, if that's their only option, I I don't think we can rule that out because I think yeah, they'll have if to they, do it if if they need the votes. Yeah, but if they increase the work requirements, they risk losing moderates in the middle. So that's yeah, the calculus that they have to make. right. Well, Laura, another big part of this that might make moderates uneasy are these are these energy tax credits that would be repealed, right? These were these were tax credits put in last year under that Democratic backed reconciliation package that became law. Big tax credits for clean energy, and this this repeals all that. What effect is that going to have here? Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting one. Of course, I'm biased because I like talking about taxes, but uh, I think it's an interesting case because originally uh, this wasn't part of leadership's presentation. This was something that Freedom Caucus members, the more conservative members of the conference, uh, demanded be part of this bill, is repealing all these clean energy tax credits that Democrats enacted in August um, which basically expanded and extended some of the current, what had been on the books already, but then some of them as well transitioned to tech neutral, different tax credits a few years down the line. And there's a lot in there that both, this was part of what Democrats wanted to do. It's also something, you know, that Joe Manchin really liked that uh, these tax credits aren't just, we'll give you some money for wind, we'll give you some money for solar electric vehicles, things like that. Um, It's also nuclear power. It's also carbon capture that can be used by, uh, you know, fossil fuel producers. It's it's all kinds of hydrogen fuel. It's a lot of different kinds of energy in there. Um, And so when that got put into the bill, there was number one resistance because it makes it a revenue measure, which means the Senate could if it's sent to the Senate, ultimately, it, with this, it they could use it for whatever tax they want to do uh, as a vehicle. Uh, so there was a political question there. But the other thing is, there's a lot in the, this package of credits that Republicans might, depending, individually like. And so I think one of the complicated things here, there was a Ways and Means hearing this week where I felt like they laid this out, they're arguing against this as a whole. And very clearly, this package, it strikes it all. It doesn't 
you know, it doesn't carve things out. And I think that's purposeful because the arguments in this hearing weren't often other than the electric vehicle tax credit that's been, you know, much maligned by, by Republicans for a variety of reasons. It was this package as a whole doesn't have enough guardrails, so it benefits China. It's too, um, you know, Democrats are turning too harshly on fossil fuels. This is too expensive um, because the cost estimate, outside estimates, now found this package could cost, Goldman Sachs had it at $1.2 trillion, I believe, uh, whereas JCT last year had had it at like $270 billion. So it's a huge difference. Um, huge difference, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think there's an overall argument on this didn't cost what they said it would. We don't agree with the Democrat plan, but I think it's a lot harder when you break it down because there are Republicans, uh, you know, like Aiden mentioned, who have big wind power projects in their districts or have a lot of nuclear power plants in their districts. Biofuels, you know, are big uh, because that comes from corn and soybeans. So I th- I think we'll, we've yet to see whether that really will, that message will stick, that we're, we're doing this as a whole. We don't like it as a package, so we're rolling it all back. If that's something that re- enough Republicans can swallow. Yeah. Now, we haven't heard any moderates yet say, because of the, the tax credit repeals, I won't vote for this bill, right? There's been no definitive statement like that. Yeah. And I will say, you know, in this Ways and Means hearing, there were Republicans saying, I love biofuels, I'm big on hydrogen, or who I know, you know, are really supportive of nuclear power, who were mostly criticizing this. So, and, you know, Brian Fitzpatrick, who is kind of a key centrist from Pennsylvania, um, he he was saying that he's willing to perhaps vote for things he might not otherwise because he views this as an opening offer. He doesn't view this as something that's going to happen. And mm-hmm. everyone knows the Senate is not, Senate Democrats aren't going to repeal their own signature climate package. There's, it doesn't seem like there's a way. And the other the other tax question I had for you, Laura, is, you know, we're also hearing this talk about, hey, could this be an opportunity for the salt cap deduction uh, fight to, to reemerge? It's not in this bill, we should say, but, you know, there is still this push from, from lawmakers of both parties in high tax states that want to get rid of this cap that's been imposed on how much you can deduct for state and local taxes, the salt cap. Any talk that, that they would try to get that into this bill? I will say that's not something specifically that so far I've heard, but I think the the issue here is whenever you have a tax title, it can it can be a problem. I mean, anytime you have a tax title, salt can be a demand. Um, there could also be other people that want to see business tax breaks. I mean, I would this is just uh, my sense, but I would guess there are some there's some lobbyists who definitely want to see business tax breaks that they believe are really, really, you know, vital to restore as soon as possible as, as even just a message put into anything where, where tax could pass. Which probably explains it precisely why leadership does not want to reopen this bill uh, for any changes, right? Because once you do that, 
that opens the Pandora box here for all kinds of things that lawmakers might want to might want to insert in this. Yeah, taxes among them. Yeah, absolutely. So we're not hearing that being that's not a demand though, right? For 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 supporting this bill, the salt salt cap. That's not something you know I've heard so far. I think uh, we're still a long way off from what the ultimate demands will be. And I also think um, it really depends. The sort of SALT group, sometimes their demand is more focused on something impacting the individual income tax code. And there are things, I mean, George Santos mentioned, who is a a SALT guy, uh, being from from the New York City area, where he... um, doesn't like that you're pulling back these clean energy tax credits that might benefit some of them benefit individuals. So, uh, you know, I think we'll see. I think there's always a threat of salt when you have, a, you know, dozens now of members in a salt caucus. You have, I believe, last I checked, eight Republicans signed on to a bill that says we want to fully restore the salt deduction immediately. I mean, that's more than four. So I think you never know assault. And that's something that's haunted Democrats for a while. And now it's haunting Republicans as well. Yeah, good point. And Aiden, I still wonder about these discretionary spending caps because, you know, on the one hand, I would think there are moderates who are uneasy for, you know, if they vote for this and then they're going to be attacked for trying to kill domestic programs by maybe 30 percent. And and Democrats will list off all the horrors that 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 that's going to trigger in terms of lost services, you know, education, environment, healthcare. They'll just go down the list. And I also wonder if all the defense hawks are are at all uneasy because once you put, you know, this would be a hard cap um, in place overall for overall discretionary spending. It doesn't specify. It doesn't make any. It doesn't break down whether it's defense, non-defense in this particular debt limit bill, which which means it leaves unresolved whether defense could possibly be subject to any cuts, right? Yeah, you're right. The defense hawk, I'll, I'll tackle that first. Generally speaking, the appropriators who are very pro-defense spending say that they're not worried about this yet. For example, Robert Adderholt from Alabama, he was saying that, you know, Appropriators will always take care of defense, and you know they'll be okay cutting non-defense as much as needed, essentially, to um, ensure that defense is taken care of. Um, but if I can push back on that, that might be the re- the Republican position. But if this becomes law, we know this isn't going to become law, this debt limit bill. But if it did, and you had this cap in place. In order to get the appropriations, you need bipartisan cooperation for final appropriations, and they can't guarantee there won't be cuts in defense to make to abide by this overall cap, right? I mean, there there is still going to be that risk if this were to become law. Yeah, I think I think the caveats you threw in there are very important in that this will not become law in this form. Um, so I think you know there's less of a of a focus, I guess, on on this at this point where. You know, I think most Republicans feel like it's more important to show a unified face as we start to begin this debt limit negotiation process than it is to 
be completely on board with all the details. And the same then with the moderates, Aiden, that that they can swallow these kind of cuts, you know, that that Democrats are going to bash them for uh, on the campaign trail. Yeah. So I think from their perspective, it's probably easier to back a overall spending cap where you're saying we're trying to cut spending than it will be when we start seeing individual spending bills come across the floor where you can really see the numbers laid out pretty cleanly and you know, this you're voting for an X amount cut to whichever program. That said, as you point out, you you know, you can have the attack ad saying this person's trying to cut spending and hear all the different ways that, that would affect, but uh, I think most Republicans will say, you know, Washington is out of control spending and we need to try to try to limit it. This is what we're trying to do. And of course, I could also see attack ads from this that, that Republicans voted to saddle students with with thousands of dollars of, of, of debt that, that, that they can no longer get relief from, right? Because this, this would uh, block Biden's plan to cancel a lot of student debt. Um, that could also be a very salient <laughs> campaign attack. Uh, there's a lot in this bill, in other words, that, that um, Democrats are sure to use against whoever votes for it. Republicans, of course, can push back and defend it. But I mean, uh, there is a risk there. If, and so if you're in a swing district, it just becomes a little trickier. That's what I think we have to watch for. There's no question here. We, we should also just say more broadly, th- this is a big moment for House Republicans, right? I mean, I mean, this is probably the most important thing they're going to do all this year, which is getting out of this debt limit crisis, because we've got a divided Congress. Nothing big is going to happen, really, that, that can pass both chambers. But this has to, some sort of debt limit increase has to, to prevent calamity. This is probably the biggest thing they have to do that can get done this year. And it's a huge partisan political fight. And we've got this new House Republican majority that just took office in January. This is their first really big test on whether they're going to have their act together and can act in a united fashion and and pass something that leadership sponsors. Yes, this bill will never become law because there's no bar, bipartisan buyout buy into it. But if this were to go down on the House floor, I mean, no question, th- this would be a huge embarrassment to Republican leadership. Yeah, that's a very that'd be a very challenging scenario for them to uh, kind of yeah explain and get out of because you know the entire point of this is to establish a negotiating position, and if they show that they're unable to do that with their own confidence, that would be a big, um, a big win for the Democrats and, and uh, President Biden. And, and so the issue there would be, uh, we, we sort of have to decide, uh, we, there's both scenarios here that, that we need to analyze, right? One is, if this goes down on the House floor, what does that do to the state of debt limit negotiations? Because then McCarthy has a much weaker hand to play. He can't, he can't claim that his... His, his party is behind him on this package. It really undermines him. Democrats will laugh him out of the park at that point. And then, and then what happens? Will there, then where do we go with debt limit negotiations? And then on the other hand, if this passes the House, as McCarthy thinks it will, then at least he can take credit for this. Does that force Democrats to the negotiating table at that point, right? Is that, that's the big question. 
Yeah, I mean, I, to me, it seems like Biden is pretty dug in that he's not going to negotiate. And we still have a little bit of time until we hit the X date. So I wouldn't expect any immediate action from the White House, but it would raise a question of, you know, when will that happen? Because you would think that, that would have to happen to get to to avoid default. But Yeah, I was just going to add, I, th- I think the other thing to watch is the Senate. We've seen Joe Manchin be pretty vocal and sort of cheering McCarthy on. He is sort of cheering on House Republicans in, in pushing on this, even if he doesn't agree with their demands and is, uh, you know, saying that President Biden should negotiate. You see a lot, you know, most other Senate, most Senate Democrats are on board with Biden, clean debt limit increase at this point. But I think there is a question of, do we get to a point where we start to see, you know, some of those middle players in the Senate working on their own. And I was speaking with Todd Young yesterday, who's done some of that across the aisle work. And, you know, Republicans, from what I've heard of largely in the Senate said, we want to stand back and let McCarthy have a more powerful negotiating position, essentially. But he said, maybe we get to a point where there's a role for that kind of negotiating in the Senate. So I think that's something to watch as well. That's a good point. I mean, ultimately, this may get resolved in the Senate, as a lot of stuff often does, right? Because it is the more bipartisan chamber, really, because they have to be. And time is fast approaching here, we should say. The the latest projections are by June or July, something has to happen here. The, the debt limit's going to have to be increased, which means really something has to happen legislatively next month. And whether this bill is passed in the House or not, they've got to make some tough decisions uh, across the chambers as to what, what can get done by next month somehow. And we, we st- they have not resolved this, this standoff over whether they negotiate at all over a debt limit, which does seem like Democrats are going to have to cave on that. I mean, the only way they get a bill is to negotiate. But then what does that look like? Um, as I say, this is a big moment here. Uh, any any fast project, pr- predictions before we go? Is this is this going to pass the House or not? If I had to guess, I would say it does pass. Uh, there'd be a handful of defections, but not enough to take the bill. But we'll have to wait and see. Laura? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, my sense at this point is this is so critical to leadership's position. You know, they pretty quickly were willing to add in repeal of IRS funding and repealing clean energy tax credits that weren't originally in their plan. To be fair, they had some reasons why they weren't ideological. You know, they they were willing to oppose those things. But, you know, I think the other question is, do we see some some last minute tweaks? Do we see that kind of, uh, you know, 11th hour deal making? I think we'll see. All right. Well, one of the perks of being the host of this podcast is I don't have to make predictions. So... (laughs) Um, I will leave it in your hands. I guess that's a bet that they, it will pass the House. We will see. But it's going to be a big week on Capitol Hill. Uh, a lot riding on this. We will cover it all for you, but that's all the time we have for today. Thanks again, Aiden Quigley, for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me again. Appreciate it. And thank you, Laura Weiss. Yeah, thanks. Great talking with both of you. And thank you all for listening. You can, If you like what you hear here, you, you should subscribe to the CQ Budget newsletter. You can find that at CQ.com. You can find all our coverage on the debt limit at CQ.com 
or rollcall.com. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll see you next time.